Welcome to season two of Whatever Wando, and on this week's episode, we are covering the most disappointing teams in sports history. What teams have let us down despite such lofty expectations? Let's get right to it. Welcome, everybody, to season two of Whatever Wando. Uh, appreciate everyone who's listening to this Uh like I really, when I started this podcast, first of all, you know, I didn't know how long I'd go with it. Um, and I'm happy I'm still going with it, but it's also something that, you know, I give credit to my buddy, Jim at pot of fame. Sometimes it's hard for me to go like, what do I want to put out next week? And I could churn out some random thing for you, but it's not something I'd like. Like, I don't want to put out crap that even I don't want to listen back to. Because before everything I put out, I re-listen back to it. So if it's something even I don't want to hear, I'm like, I don't want to put it out for all of you. So kind of like this season format, you know, where I put out some episodes, take a little bit of a break. So far, it seems like the best for me. So sometimes the schedule is a little bit in flux. All new episodes will be on Thursdays, except for when we get to close to holidays. And I'll make special mention of that. Um, but follow me on at whatever Wando on Twitter and at whatever underscore Wando on Instagram to kind of keep you updated because I will always put out an Instagram post and usually a Twitter post right before I'm putting out a new episode. Uh, so that leads us to here in our first new episode of season two. We're going to talk about disappointments and specifically the most disappointing teams of all time, in my opinion. Uh, I know you're thinking, like, another list, like, you know, this podcast started on conspiracy theories and, you know, all that. And we are, we, I have plenty more of those, but this just felt like the right time to do this episode about disappointing teams because this year has been very disappointing for me in sports, specifically in baseball. If this is your first time listening to an episode of Whatever Wando, I am a big White Sox fan. And this year was supposed to be the year that we won a World Series. Or like where was we were in the ALCS, like made another big jump. You know, we had I had suffered through a rebuild, like like a lot of teams do. You know, we sold every piece of the car that was worth selling. You know, Chris Sale, we sold to, you know, the Red Sox. We got some great pieces. We got Michael Kopeck, Yohan Moncada, other pieces like that. Um, you know, we drafted decently well. We got some international signings, a few veterans here or there. It looked like we had finally gotten the right team together, especially going into that pandemic year. You know, we make the wild card. We probably should have won the division. You know, Rick Renteria, manager, he made some mistakes. He wasn't a great manager, but he wasn't the worst. So they fired Rick Renteria. I'm like, all right, here we go. Um, you know, as a White Sox fan, I was excited. I was like, all right, we have all the pieces here. Luis Roberts up here, uh, Eloy Jimenez is hitting, Jose Abreu just won an MVP. Now we just need a manager. And all we're looking at right now is there's two great youngish managers who just got suspended for a year for the cheating scandal. 
Both of them use analytics. Both of them have won World Series. They would be perfect to hire. And I'm sitting there just licking my chops. And I'm like, I'm thinking Cora's going back to the Red Sox. So I'm like, he's probably not coming. But A.J. Hinch, ooh, I love A.J. Hinch to be in a White Sox uniform. But then whispers start coming out that, you know, they're calling Tony La Russa. And I think the entire time I'm like, I think this is just a courtesy call, you know, because, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the White Sox, has always said his biggest regret is firing Tony La Russa, like him and Hawk Harrelson. And I'm like, there's no way they're bringing him in. And they bring him in. And from the beginning, I was like, I don't know how this is going to fit. You know, he hasn't coached in a long time. He's got multiple DUIs at this point. Uh, yes, he's won World Series, but the game has changed by then. You know, players have changed. The way that he grew up playing baseball, you know, you even see Major League Baseball has changed in that way. Like when he was playing baseball and coaching baseball, you know, there were still very much those unwritten rules we're all following. Uh, and you saw baseball during his time away make that shift to like, no, if you want to, you know, do a bat flip after a dope home run, go for it because baseball's struggling to get viewers and all these cool young players are their only hope to bring in young people watching. So when I see a fun team like the White Sox, like especially that pandemic year, you know, I always used to laugh that Eloy Jimenez, like every game, another button on his shirt went undone, that I was assuming one day he was just going to come out like shirtless, like, because that's what he was doing. And there was a fun team. And then it's kind of like we bring in, it was basically this is Steve Buscemi uh, meme from. 30 kids like what's up fellow kids like he comes there yes they win the first year of that division with him but that division was bad that year you know lots of injuries you know Buxton was hurt for the twins they kind of fell off the map uh, Cleveland stuck around but they had injuries and then Detroit was really bad and then we have this year we're like okay we've made changes this is the year that we're really going to make that big run and they just never did and it was one of the biggest disappointments for me ever. So, so as this year ended and I was thinking of episodes, I was like, let's think about the most disappointing teams. What teams had we had such great hopes for, but they failed miserably? And to me, first of all, I need to define what I consider to be, uh, first of all, a failure and then how did I dis- decide like what teams could make this list? So first of all, it's not an extensive list. It's seven teams. Are there teams missing on here? Sure. I miss the entire sport of hockey because I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, you know, there was some 1980s Islanders team I didn't know about, and I'm not going to try to lie to you about it. I picked teams that I knew, and I'm like, yes, this team was a disappointment. For me, a failure can be sometimes making the playoffs and it can be also how far if you you maybe made the playoffs but how far did you go were you a world series contender who got bounced early were you a super bowl contender who continuously couldn't get it done in the playoffs that's a failure to me that's a disappointment to me what's not a disappointment to me is a team that gets devastated by an awful injury so in your head you might be thinking to yourself like most disappointing teams ever, like teams that had high expectations and failed, you might think to yourself, okay, what about that Patriots team the year after they almost went perfect and they lost in the Super Bowl? You know, they didn't even make the playoffs. They're they're a disappointment. Not really. Tom Brady gets hurt the first game of the season. Like, 
you you can't grade that on the same scale when you bring in Matt Castle. Honestly, it was more, you know, it was more impressive. For because of that one season, Bill Belichick all made us think that Matt Castle was like a franchise quarterback. And then because of that, that messed with us for the next couple of years. Cause then he had Jacoby Brissett, where like when he when you know Deflate Gate happened and some people had to play for Tom Brady, we're like, Jacoby Brissett, is he a dude? Is he a guy that we need to bring on our teams? Jimmy G, Jimmy G's made a career out of having a few good games with the Patriots. So, you know, props to that. I don't know how you can really call that a disappointment. But because of how these White Sox broke my heart, it made me think, and I have this list. And this is my list. These seven teams to me are the most disappointing. And you definitely may disagree. And if you do, please tweet at me at whatever Wando or put in the comments at at whatever underscore one on Instagram. Let me know where you differ. But I'm really excited to talk about this list. So we're just going to get right into this list, the seven most disappointing teams of all time. And we're going to start with number seven. At number seven is kind of a cheap shot. And as I've said, I'm a Chicago sports fan. Uh, I'm very petty. I know what I am. Number seven isn't really a specific team. It's actually a group of teams in one organization. And for me, that's the Green Bay Packers, every team of theirs since 2011. Every year I have to watch ESPN and every, you know, Fox, CBS, Sports Illustrated, every Twitter article telling me that Aaron Rodgers is, because we can't say he's the greatest ever, but a lot of people like the most talented, the best ever quarterback. I have to watch him, and don't get me wrong, he owns the Bears. That is 100% correct. His record against the Bears, I think he's lost like three times, maybe. And a couple of those times, he got hurt in those games. But, you know, I have to listen to every year about how great he is. But he hasn't won a Super Bowl since a year when he had a top, like a top 10 defense. Consistently, his team chokes in the playoffs. The last couple years, you can say specific. There's a few of those years where you can't really blame it on Aaron Rodgers. Like you have the year where uh, like two of the years when he was playing the Cardinals and like they both went to overtime. One where he had a pick six or it was maybe a fumble. Uh, that was returned for a touchdown. And then the other one was he just threw the Hail Mary and then Carson Palmer throws. Like somehow Larry Fitzgerald gets open, he runs down the field, and then they eventually do like a little shuffle pass to win. You know, there are a few times when it's not Aaron Rodgers' fault. But a lot of times he's definitely not helping his case. And let's look at the case for Aaron Rodgers. Is he one of the most talented quarterbacks of all time? For sure. I'm not going to argue that. And once again, that's coming from someone who's never really seen a talented quarterback uh, play for his team. But every year, he's in a pretty bad division. Let's be honest. Since 2011, the Lions really haven't been relevant. Minnesota has had a few up and down years, like where they had a few years in the beginning of the Mike Zimmer era, where uh, Mike Zimmer era, where like the defense was really good and they had like okay quarterback play. Uh, you know, once again, they had the Stefan Diggs year and the Bears had like one or two good years, but most of the time the Packers were walking through division and they get to the playoffs. And once again, I'm told every five minutes, 
you know, Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback ever. He's the best to ever do it. And he'd have multiple times, like, it's a home playoff game. And he chokes it away. And that team chokes it away. Every time I keep on hearing, like, go Pack, go. They're going to win this game. And they don't. Because since 2011, they've been a consistent disappointment. So many years they've been expected, like, this is the year. They're going to win another Super Bowl. Didn't happen. You have the last couple, you know, playoffs. You have the 49ers when they win and play them in San Fran. And Jimmy G throws the ball, I believe, eight times, and they get boat raced out of there. You have last year in Lambeau, in the snow, you have all your weapons. You are down David Bakhtiari. But after the first drive where you go right down the field and then a Mercedes Lewis fumble, you can't do anything. Yes, the special teams was a problem, but if you have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, you can usually get by that and get past Jimmy G, who was just throwing ducks the entire game. Are there a few times where his team did choke it for him? Yeah, like I said earlier. You know, you can go back to also the Seahawks game where they look like they had that game in the bag, then they do the fake field goal, they recover an onside kick, and it just happens. But those these past 10 years of Packer teams, you know, I'd, I'd love to be in, like, first of all, Packer fans, you know, you might be, like, bashing me, and I'd love to be in your position to be, like, I'd love to be able to be that disappointed in a team because my team's never that good. So I never have to get my hopes up that much. But for me, these past 10 years, if you have a Hall of Fame quarterback, you've had some great talents at, you know, on the offensive position, decent defenses, and you haven't even appeared in one more Super Bowl since that, I think that's a giant disappointment. So I'm putting all of the Green Bay Packers teams since 2011 on this list. They have been a disappointment, and you can't really tell me otherwise. And Green Bay fans, in your heart of hearts, you know I'm right. But let's be fair and move on to the number six team on this list. So at number six, like I said, Green Bay, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to put a team that's hurt me many years of my life, and that's the 1986 Chicago Bears. For any of you who know the history of the Chicago Bears, you might be saying, well, Dave, you said in your opening that you were not going to include any teams that were hurt by injury, and Jim McMahon got hurt and only played six games this season. And you're right. But here's the reason why they still make the list. The Chicago Bears are not an offensive franchise. Never have been. I don't know if they ever will be. I was actually talking with... Uh, these guys in a, a group chat uh, who also run a pa- podcast. It's the Crossing State Lines podcast. They're awesome guys. It's at CSL podcast on Twitter. And they were talking about, you know, speaking of the Bears, who are the best, you know, Bears, you know, offensive players? And, you know, like they said, like, besides, like, Walter Payton. I was like, Gail Sayers, you know, people say Ditka because, you know, Ditka was one of the first, like, big tight ends, even though his numbers weren't great. And then, you know, you have a few wide receivers you can throw here or there. 
But there's a lot of gaps. Like for me, I was just like, I don't know. You'd probably go Brandon Marshall, Marty Booker had some good year, uh, good years in there. Alshon Jeffrey, um, you know, I said even though he didn't play offense that much and he was a special teamer, I was going like Devin Hester. Devin Hester was so much of the offense at one point. You know, he's like one of the greatest offensive weapons we've ever had, and he wasn't even on the offense. He eventually did play wide receiver, but he wasn't great at it. You know, you had Thomas Jones, Cedric Benson, just like guys, they're dudes. Matt Forte, who doesn't get enough credit, as someone said in the chat. Um, But it's besides the point. We've never been an offensive franchise. We've been a defensive franchise. That 1985 Bears defense is regarded as the best. It's one of the best, if not the best, defense ever. And we returned most of it. And I want you to listen to these points per game they gave up during that season. And listen to, you know, once again, yes, you are missing your starting quarterback. But I want you to listen to these point totals. So this team goes 14-2. and two. They give up 31 points in the first game, but then give up 10, 12, 7, 0, 7, 23, 7, 23, 10, 10, 10, 14, 13, 10, and then 27 when they lose in the divisional round to the now Washington Commanders. That defense just needed mediocre quarterback play. Average, right down the middle, offensive play, and they probably could have won another Super Bowl. But instead, they blew it. And that's the reason they're on this list. I know with Jim McMahon, it would have been different. But the fact is, when you have that good of a defense, you don't need that good of quarterback play. Look at the Baltimore Ravens. Look at, you know, when they won with Trent Dilfer. Look at when the Buccaneers won with Brad Johnson. You can win a Super Bowl with a not great quarterback. What happened with the Bears is multiple things. First, Mike Ditka couldn't get out of his own way. It was making bad decisions. A lot of people blame him for the reason they didn't win that season. I am one of those people too. He couldn't decide on a quarterback, and he was just, eventually he decided to throw Doug Flutie out there, which was an awful decision. Uh, and you can see that in the 30 for 30 where they were just like they blamed like if they didn't play Flutie, they would have done well. You have also the fact that there was so much infighting going in with you know the coaches. You know, Ditko was getting a little too big for his britches. You know, he won that Super Bowl. He became you know, an icon in Chicago, and I think some of it went to his head. And then he was always smoking a cigar. He was doing that. You know, it is one of those things. If you win a championship in a big city like Chicago, you know, it is every stereotype. Like, your drinks are paid forever. That's okay to realize that, but you, you shouldn't start acting like that just one year later. The other big problem that happens, and it's what hap- it's happened with the Bears multiple times, is a, we have a very good defense, and they begin to loathe the offense because they're sitting there going, if you guys were just mediocre, even like top, you know, once again, like top 18 in the league, we're going to win all these games. But you can't give us that. So you start to have this feeling of like there's two teams, the offense and the defense. And then what many times it happens to, it happens to the Bears a lot. It happens even to where I went to college at Iowa is that defense, which has been playing so fundamentally sound, which has led to them winning games, then starts making taking a few chances they normally wouldn't because they feel like they have to score points. 
So instead of, hey, at corner, we're just going to play this route, only let them get like three or four yards, I'm going to try and jump this route and get a pick six because our offense sucks. Then maybe you get burned on something. That's what happens. And you can't blame the defense for it. This offense just sucked that much. And once again, you, you may be saying injuries, but that defense could have carried a bad, like I'm going to say a bad quarterback or a mediocre quarterback to a Super Bowl. We just had pathetic quarterback play and the, the Bears couldn't get out of their own way. You don't make a video like the Super Bowl shuffle for a team you think is only going to win one Super Bowl. That is something when you think you have a dynasty brewing. And after one season, you shit down your pants. So that is why the 1986 Chicago Bears make this list. Now let's move on to number five. So if I haven't made you throw your phone yet or yell in your car, I think this next team on this list, number five, is really going to do it. It's really going to put you over the, you know, just get you mad at maybe you, you're thinking maybe I don't know the definition of disappointment. But the number five team for me is the 2001 Seattle Mariners. The 2001 Seattle Mariners, you might say, they won 100, they won 116 games. They won their division by a ton. How are they a failure? Well, let me talk about how they're a failure. So to do that, we're going to have to talk about this team just slightly in depth here. So first, let's look at this team offensively. Let me just go down the starting lineup right now. We'll just do first offense. So at catcher, we have Dan Wilson, who is batting 265. John Olerud who is still pretty young at the time. He's 32. Well, you know, relatively in baseball age. He's batting three, uh, you know, he's 32 and he's batting 302. Uh, Brett Boone at second base. He's batting 331. You have Carlos Guillen, who's batting 249. You have David Bell, who's batting 260. You have Al Martin, who's batting 240. Mike Cameron, who's batting 267. Ichiro Suzuki, who's batting 350. And Edgar Martinez, who's batting 306. That's just straight batting average. Let's look at some more interesting numbers. So, Joe and Olerud, 21 home runs, 95 RBIs. Brett Boone, 37 home runs, 141 RBIs. Uh, David Bell, 15 home runs, 64 RBIs. Mike Cameron, 25 home runs, 110 RBIs. Ichiro Suzuki, 8 home runs, 69 RBIs. 56 stolen bases. Oh, by the way, Mike Cameron also had 34 stolen bases. And then you have Edgar Martinez, who's hit 23 home runs, 116 RBIs, and somehow had four stolen bases. Great offensive team. Solid all around. Yes, you got a few guys who are, you know, batting 250. But if you had a team full of guys in 250, sometimes it's not too bad. As a White Sox fan, I would have killed for that this year. Let's look at the pitching staff. So first you have Freddie Garcia, who's 24 at this, eventually goes to win a World Series. He goes 18-6 and six with a 3.05 ERA. Aaron Selly, 15 wins, 5 losses, 3.60 ERA. Jamie Moyer, who goes on plays forever, and he did. He was 38 at the time. 20 wins, 6 losses, 3.43 uh, ERA. Paul Abbott, 17 wins, 4 losses, 
4.25 ERA, and you have a few other guys. Uh, you have Sasaki as your closer. He's a 3.24 ERA with 45 saves. This is a solid team, good pitching, a good bullpen, and you're saying, so what makes them a disappointment? Well, the disappointment is you make it to the ALCS and you can't even win more than one game. Yes, you ran into the New York Yankees who would go on to lose the World Series, but that Yankees team was not perfect. They are not those Yankees teams that you remember who were bought. This is, yes, you still had Jeter, you had Knobloch, you had, you know, a few other guys. That team could still be beat, and you just couldn't, you know, you couldn't get over that hump, which made you a disappointment. You are on this list because you are still, I don't know if it's for baseball history, but it's still for AL, who is the AL team with the most wins to not make a World Series in a season. It's the Seattle Mariners. That's how you make this list. I should have, you know, Ichiro Suzuki should have played in a World Series, but we didn't get that because this team, the spotlight got too big and they shrunk down to size. That's what makes them a disappointment in my eyes. I I really wanted this team to win. And once again, I know A-Rod and Ken Griffey are gone, but this team had the pieces to make a run and they just couldn't do it. So that's how they ended up on the on this list. Let's move on to number four. At number four on this list, we have the 2011 Philadelphia Eagles. The second I said disappointing teams, I'm sure a few of you in the back of your head, you're like the dream team, as Vince Young proclaimed them to be the 2011 Philadelphia Eagles. The year before, the 2010 Eagles, they go 10 and 6. Michael Vick, you know, he's, you know, you know, fresh out of prison. He, you know, rehabilitates himself to once again, he served his jail time. I'm not going to talk about that even though I love dogs. Um, but he comes in and he plays and he does pretty well to the point that the you know, they feel comfortable making him the quarterback of this team. So they start rebuilding around him as a major piece. So they had gone 10-6, and six, they lost in the wild card, and they made some very big moves that offseason. So first on the defensive side, they brought in Dominique Rogers-Cromartie, Namdi Asamoah, who was considered like, well, first you had DRC. He was considered one of the better, you know, defensive backs. He's one of the faster defensive backs, and he was a big get. You have Namdi Asamoah, who had been spending, you know, the beginning of his career just wasting away in Oakland. And just everyone going, being like, he's the shutdown corner of this league. They bring him in. They bring in Vince Young to be the backup quarterback. Not a bad backup. Vince Young you know, was drafted by a team whose head coach didn't want him, and he made the best out of the situation. He's not a bad backup to have. They bring in Ronnie Brown, Evan Mathis, Steve Smith, uh, different Steve Smith, the wide receiver from the Giants, and Jason Babin, a defensive end. Once again, you know, and it was just awful timing that Vince Young, the backup quarterback, was like, we're kind of like a dream team. Uh, That's what he called them. And... Just things just went horrible for them. But still, let's talk a little bit more good. Like even in like their draft, in this draft, 
the beginning of the draft's not great. Sixth round of this draft, this is when they draft Jason Kelsey. Eventually would lead them to a Super Bowl at center. Uh, but once again, they made good additions. They were primed. You know, everyone thought, like, this is going to win the division. This is how the season goes. They start out first game at the Rams, win 31 to 13. Here we go. Dream team it is. They lose four straight games. They lose at the Falcons. They lose to the New York Giants, to the 49ers at home. Then they lose at the Bills. These aren't the Bills that we have now. These are not a very good Bills team. They lose to the Washington Commanders. I mean, they beat the Washington Commanders 20 to 13. They beat the Dallas Cowboys 34 to 7. And then they just continue having these on and off, you know, they they then lose to the Bears uh, 24 to 30, then they lose to the Cardinals, they win to the Giants, they lose to the Patriots, lose to the Seahawks, and they win they win the last four straight. But they end up at a mediocre 8 and 8. Didn't make the playoffs. Second in the NFC East. Uh, they finished the season with three Pro Bowlers. You got LaShawn McCoy, who's still there at running back, who's great. I didn't even mention him earlier. You got Jason Peters, who I think many people think could be eventual Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, that's up for debate. Uh, he makes the Pro Bowl. But this team, despite, you know, they're already 10-6, and six, all these big additions, they just aren't very good. That defense, who everyone expected to be great now with, now you got a great edge rusher. You have two great DBs. You know, listen to some of these points. Uh, give up 35 points, 29 points, 24, 31, 30, 21, 20, uh, 38, 31. Like, the games that they lost, offense didn't help in a bunch of them, but the defense wasn't very good either. Uh the guy who I feel like was hurt the most by this was Namdi Asamoah. Namdi Asamoah got paid, and Namdi Asamoah is winning at life. He's married to Kerry Washington. Um, you know, I'm sure his life's great. I'm, I'm sure he's like, I'm fine. But he got brought out from Oakland where, you know, those teams were awful and, you know, no one really talked about him. And he got brought into Philly, and he got thrown in the lion's den. And it went very bad for him and the rest of that team. And that team never did go and win a Super Bowl. Eventually, the Eagles did get their Super Bowl, but with Nick Foles and not Michael Vick. So, unfortunately, that dream team turned into a nightmare, and that nightmare lands them at number four on this list. Let's move on to number three. At number three on our list of most disappointing teams of all time, we have the 1996-1997 Houston Rockets. So the Rockets are an interesting franchise. They've had a lot of decent players, but their best success has happened in weird years. They've happened to happen in years where, you know, considerably like the best player ever, at least in my opinion, didn't play, you know, Whenever Michael Jordan was in during, when I talk about the Rockets, I'm talking about Hakeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler, those Rockets, they couldn't even make it to the NBA Finals. We never got to, and everyone, a lot of, like, I feel like I wanted to, and a lot of other people wanted to see that matchup. Because it would have been interesting to see. The Bulls, you know, front court was never amazing. You know, the best front court player the Bulls ever had during that run probably is Horace Grant, but, you know, second, 
you know, Robert Parrish at his peak probably would have been the second best, but we had an older Robert Parrish at that time. So is it Luke Longley? How's Luke Longley going to do against Hakeem Olajuwon? Hakeem Olajuwon's going to eat him alive. So I think that would have been an interesting matchup to see. And that's why the 96-97 Rockets interested a lot of people. Uh, because you go into it and you have, you know, you have Clyde Drexler and Hakeem Olajuwon back again, you know, continuing what they're doing. You know, Hakeem Olajuwon, he's 34. He still plays and starts. He starts 78 games uh, and he plays 78 games, averages 23 points a game, 2.2 blocks, 1.5 steals, 3.3 assists, and nine, like about 9.2 total rebounds. He's still doing his thing. You got Clyde Drexler, who's 34. He misses a few games. He still plays 62 of them, and he's 34 once again. And he's averaging 18 points a game. He's averaging almost two steals, almost six assists, uh, and almost six total rebounds. So you still have the two big pieces. But then they also brought in Charles Barkley. He was also older. He's 33. He plays 53 games. But Charles Barkley, when he's playing, even though he's not his MVP self, 19.2 uh, points per game, he's averaging a steal, almost five assists, and almost uh, 14 rebounds a game. So you have a solid team here that you know finishes second in the West to the Utah Jazz, and they make a run through the playoffs. First, they sweep through the Minnesota Timberwolves 3-0, you know, back in the days when it was just Kevin Garnett by himself. Uh, Then they win in seven games against the Sonics, who were trying to go back to the NBA Finals. And then they get to the Utah Jazz, and they lose 2-4. And, you know, know, 4-2, I guess is a better way to phrase it. And you might be thinking, like, well, how was that really a disappointment? You know, they made it to the conference finals. The thing is, they had made it to the conference finals before with the pieces they had. And you add a Hall of Famer who, no, he's not in his prime anymore. But he's still pretty damn good. And you still can't get over that hump? Like, yes, basketball is a team game. But in your head, I want you to play it out and go, who are the top three players in the Utah Jazz? Carmelone, Stockton, Hornacek, is he your third best? Is it, you know, Byron Russell? I don't know. But if I'm going Hakeem, Drexler, Barkley, I should be able to get over that hump. And for some reason, the Rockets couldn't. And it was just, it's so disappointing because, you know, there's there's things that also, and it's unfairly me judging them, but this goes into my criteria. They had just changed into their kind of new logo. They had changed it in the mid-90s. And I don't mind the logo now. But it's just kind of sad to see. You see an older Hakeem Olajuwon near the end. You see Clyde Drexler. He's kind of beaten down at this point. Same with Barkley. And it's like, you feel like it's the old gunslingers trying to adapt. They're in these like funny looking uniforms because they look very funny on these guys. Cause just like, you know, these guys should be in the throwbacks and you just see like, you know, pictures you see of just them just like dejected because they couldn't get over that hump. 
and all it screams in my head is like disappointment. That team should have made an NBA Finals. And they couldn't do it. And I think everyone had them penciled in for the NBA Finals. And somehow the Utah Jazz got past them. Props to Utah for doing it. But I think that makes this Rockets team a giant disappointment. Because you have three Hall of Famers. They should be able to get past the Utah Jazz. But they just couldn't do it. So instead of making the NBA Finals, they make this list. Let's move on. At number two on this list is another team that I think everyone knew was going to make this list. And that's the 2012-2013 uh, LA Lakers. This was a team that got built from hype almost in one night. And I'm going to do this based on memory, not based on, I'm not going to go back and like double check. So, you know, let's first talk about the Lakers the year before. So the 2011-2012 season is not terrible for them. Uh, They make the playoffs. They go 41-25. and Uh, They win the first round in seven games against the Nuggets and then uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, you know, just beat them into the dirt. And it's one of those, that's, you know, when you got Katie and all those guys running around. And that team was a young and up-and-coming team. And that's when L.A. knew, okay, we need to rebuild this team. Uh, you got Kobe playing 58 games. He's averaging almost 30 points. You got Paul Gasol, who's still good. You got Andrew Bynum, who's come to his own, averaging about, you know, 19 points a game. Uh, Ramon Sessions, who I didn't think would be that high on this list, but he only started 19 games. Uh, Meta World Peace, who's kind of, you know, it, he's he's Meta, Meta World Peace or Warner Test. He is what he is. He's going to give you some decent games, play some decent defense. His offense, you'll take what you can get from him. But they realize, hey, we need to add some pieces. Because right now we're just kind of now a, you know, kind of a middling Western Conference team. How do we get back to the upper echelon to win a title? So they make two splashy moves. They bring in Steve Nash, former two-time MVP winner, and Dwight Howard, one of the primetime players of that you know era who had made it to an NBA Finals against Kobe Bryant and those Lakers. So Steve Nash, who he had started to deal with some injuries at the time, was still playing well. He played 62 games. He averaged 12.5 points per game. He had 10.7 assists. Um, his three-point rating, he was shooting almost 40%. He was still pretty solid. He was not his MVP self, but still very good, a very good player. Dwight Howard also, though. Let's talk about Dwight Howard for a minute. He had just finished the season, finishing uh, as the number two team in the Eastern Conference. They, unfortunately, though, lost in the first round. They lost 4-2 to to the Atlanta Hawks. And Dwight Howard, though, it's not his fault. Dwight Howard, once again, Dwight Howard's only 25. He's averaging 22.9 points per game. He's averaging almost 2.5 blocks, 1.5 steals, 1.5 assists, and 14 total rebounds. Uh, He still can't shoot free throws, but his, you know, his two-point percentage, because he wasn't shooting threes, he's shooting almost 60% from the field. So you're going to tell me you're going to add those guys to this Laker team to make a pretty solid squad, you know, on paper. Like, because let's look at it on paper. 
On paper, this is what you had in front of you. You had Kobe Bryant, Dwight Howard, Paul Gasol, Metal World Peace, Steve Nash, Steve Blake, um, Antoine Jameson, Earl Clark, Jody Meeks, Chris Duhon, Jordan Hill, and you got a few other guys who played here and there. This was a very hyped team. People went from, and they even, I remember that day on ESPN, they went from people being like, all right, you know, are you going to be a five, six seed next year to let's start planning parade routes. Let's start getting ready for the finals to be back in LA again. And then what happened to this team is, first of all, there is, once again, I will give the injury caveat. Steve Nash cannot stay healthy this year. He only plays 50 games. In those 50 games, he's decent, 12.7 points per game, uh, about 6.7 assists, but he just can't stay healthy. But still, if you're like, okay, you're taking a world-class player like Kobe Bryant, you're putting him with Paul Gasol, and now you're giving him the probably at the time the best center in the league, Dwight Howard, how do they not improve? Well, they just never gel. Dwight Howard... Uh, drops down to 17 points per game. Defensively, he's still pretty good. He's averaging about you know, two and a half blocks. He's averaging about the same amount of steals and assists. And his rebounds are the same. But he's not the same player as he was in Orlando. He And, you know, we've learned since, you know, Kobe was hard on him, you know, called him soft, all these things. This team just never gelled the right way. Um, I've always wondered... If Steve Nash was healthy and he could have been in there to be like kind of like a calming presence to kind of like, you know, maybe even out the intensity from Kobe, maybe this team gets it together. But, you know, Nash has hurt so much that you're just relying on these old players who, you know, are battle tested, but they need to rely on a young guy like Dwight Howard and they're just beating him into the ground, especially Kobe. It destroys his confidence and kind of sends him on a weird spiral in his career because the next season after that, he's got, you know, he has back issues and he's kind of not the same player ever again. So this team went from, once again, we all thought, you're going to make it back to the NBA Finals to they won, they were 45 and 37. They were, you know, third in the Pacific Division. They lost in the first round. They got swept by the Spurs. That's an extremely disappointing team. I think it's probably the, one of the most, if not the most, disappointing NBA team in you know, NBA history on paper in my mind. I'm sure someone's right now like, what about this team? And there's a glaring omission I'm missing. But for me, when I think about a team that was hyped up, that could have been so great on paper, like this team was it. First, you have an you know, a pass first point guard to go with one of the greatest, you know, players who wasn't a big fan of passing the ball. So you're bringing in Steve Nash, who doesn't mind dishing off the ball to a guy who does like to pass in Kobe Bryant. You have a great rebounder, defender, big man in Dwight Howard. And if you want a big man who can shoot better, you still have Paul Gasol on the team. You have all those guys and you still can't get out of the first round. Yeah, Kobe was a little bit older, but he, like, he wasn't a shell of himself yet. Kobe Bryant was still Kobe Bryant. Paul Gasol was still Paul Gasol. Dwight Howard was 27. And this team couldn't make it out of the first round. That's what makes them the second 
most disappointing team of all time, in my opinion. That's how they ended up on this list. You have four Hall of Famers, because he's not in there yet. Dwight Howard should probably be a Hall of Famer. You may argue, but almost everyone makes it into the NBA Hall of Fame. The NBA Hall of Fame is just like a walk-in door. And if you look at peak Dwight Howard, he's a Hall of Famer. So you have four Hall of Famers in that starting lineup. And they're not past their prime. And they can't get past the first round. You're a disappointment. That's how you're number two on this list. But we've got through all the other numbers. Number one, I had to find something special. I had to get something that altered sports in a way that no one else has ever done or hasn't been done in a long time. And I think I found it. So let's get to number one. So we finally reached number one on this list. And I know you must be thinking, how did you forget this team? Or how did you forget this team? If there's a team you thought I forgot, please let me know at at whatever Wando on Twitter or at whatever underscore Wando on Instagram. Let me know. Let me know where your opinion differs than mine. I love these discussions because that's what we're doing at the end of the day. We're having fun talking about sports and where we disagree and agree. But me, for me, the most disappointing team I've ever seen is a team that wrecked almost 24 years of goodwill in one couple-week tournament. And that is the 2004 United States men, a men's Olympic basketball team. For 24 straight years, multiple Olympics, we basically put our foot down and we let the rest of the world know, hey, if we want to beat you guys, it's not going to be very close. If we really, I mean really, want to put out the best of our best, this is going to be a bloodbath. You saw that with the Dream Team. You saw that with the 96 team. You, th- you saw that with the 2000 team. The teams we were putting out there, we are just marching down and destroying these other countries. Just like how Canada has established itself as the hockey country. At the end of the day, you know, some people would say like, oh, baseball's, you know, America's pastime. Or, you know, you know, some people believe that, you know, I don't think it is anymore. Football doesn't play the Olympics. So if we have to put our foot down and say, hey, you know, what sport are we best at at the Olympics? It's basketball. So when we get to the 2004 team, uh, yeah, Larry Brown at coach, who isn't the best decision in my opinion. I know he just won an NBA Finals. So I just don't think he's that great of a coach. So there is your first red flag. But once again, you have usually the pick of the letter of the NBA. There were a lot of good players who opted out. They just didn't want to play this time. You know, some of them had long you know playoff runs. So you know you don't you see names in here like there's no Shaq, there's no Kobe um, on these teams. Uh, like those are the two biggest names I can think of right away that aren't on there. There's other great players who are obviously missing who I'm just blanking on at the moment. Uh, but the team they assembled is not a bad team. You have Allen Iverson, Stefan Marbury, Dwayne Wade, Carlos Boozer, Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James, Emeka Okafor, Sean Marion, Amari Stoudemire, Tim Duncan, Lamar Odom, and Richard Jefferson. A solid team. A team that on paper, 
is better than the rest of the teams that the other, the other countries trotted out. And you can point to, yes, some of these other teams play, do, play together more, but as we've seen in recent years, the talent of the players that we put out has been able to make up for that. And some of these guys were young. LeBron's 19 during this. You know, Allen Iverson and Tim Duncan are the elder statement, elder statesmen at 29 and 28, respectively. You know, you have a few guys in here who maybe their team game isn't their best thing. Stefan Marbury wasn't necessarily about getting his teammates involved. Uh, and sometimes even Allen Iverson, because Allen Iverson probably wasn't used to playing with good teammates if you look at most of his career, like at least in Philly but they still should have won a gold medal. Instead, they end up with a bronze medal, which is just embarrassing. This team was so disappointing, so bad that, you know, we had, you know, we'd already had the dream team. We're just like, we're just going to keep on putting out, you know, we we became like a music act and we were just putting out banger after banger after banger. We're like, we put out the dream team. It's like Best album ever. And then we put out the 96 team. They're a banger. The 2000s. And then it's just like record scratch, this 2004 team. It's just like, you know, when a great band or a great artist finally puts out, a, you know, they put out a bunch of great albums in a row. And then they put out a dog shit one. And they're like, all right, the next one's going to be way better. And that's what they did. We're just like, we got to do this to the fact that they got a nickname. They became the Redeem team to redeem this 2004 team. They just put out a documentary about it. It's great uh, because they brought in like the big guns. You know, you had Dwayne Wade and LeBron James are now older. You bring in Kobe Bryant, who's like, I'm not going to come and play in this and lose. And like, once again, like they did win a gold medal. But this 2004 team, that's how disappointing they were. They basically made USA basketball pull their heads out of their asses and go, okay, even though we have the talent to just trot out basically almost anyone and we should still win, we can't do that. We need to make sure we have the right coach and the right groups of players. And that's why this is the most disappointing team, I think, ever. You are taking, and no offense to him, Richard Jefferson, he doesn't belong on this list, you have multi-time All-Stars and probably Emeka Okafor. You need another big man, so that's why he's on this team. You got Allen Iverson, Hall of Famer. Stephon Marbury, Hall of Very Good. Dwayne Wade, Hall of Famer. Carlos Boozer, very good player. Carmelo Anthony, Hall of Famer. LeBron James, top five player ever. Uh, Emeka Okafor, it doesn't really count. Uh, Sean Marion. Uh, I don't know if he has made the Hall of Famer. Like, there's a lot of people who he's on, you know, borderline. Amari Stoudemire, very good player, career shortened by, you know, injuries. Tim Duncan, top 10 player of all time. Lamar Odom, one of the better players of his era, one of the more skilled big men. And then Richard Jefferson, he happens to be there. Um, who also, Richard Jefferson was good. He was a good on those, those Nets teams early. He doesn't get enough credit. He's known on TikTok and stuff for making jokes, but Richard Jefferson was very good. And, you know, he was a good guy to have on this team. This team should have been able to win a gold medal, but they didn't. The team didn't mesh. I think the coaching was bad. You know, when I look at, I'm looking at the assistant coaches right now, I, it would be so much better if you kick Larry Brown out and let, Popovich be the coach. I think they might win even with the same team. 
I think if you run this team 10 out of 10, if you run this 100 times, a simulation of this tournament with this team, and you take out Larry Brown and you put in Greg Popovich, I think the United States wins 96% of the time. You know, maybe 4% for, you know, Spain or Greece really makes a run at it. But there's no reason we shouldn't have won that gold medal. And because of the uproar it caused, the changes that it forced in USA basketball, and the pure shock of having these NBA greats have to sit up there and pretend like they were happy to win a bronze medal, that is why they are the most disappointing team of all time, in my opinion. You might think an Olympic team is a cop-out. I think... I just really think they are the most disappointing team ever. There's nothing I could say about it. You know, I've, you pick an all-star team and they still can't beat these other countries. Sorry, you're a disappointment. But thank you all for listening to the first episode of this second season. I hope you really enjoyed it. Uh, please come back next Thursday for another new episode. Make sure to follow me at whatever Wando on Twitter and at whatever underscore Wando on Instagram. Have a good one, and we'll see you in the next one.